You're listening to the Guru's Book Club and Self-Improvement Podcast, hosted by Andy and Brian. And the quote of the day is, pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. Rule 12 by Jordan Peterson in the 12 Rules for Life. So what do you think of that quote? I mean, honestly, so I know that uh, you have, uh, that we're going to, I mean, this is kind of the culmination of where he's gone. Uh, petting a cat is being good to other human beings, basically, um, and other beings of any type. He kind of goes into uh, loving dogs more than cats and how Which dogs I 100% are. I agree with. One hundred percent. I will. I'm going to get closer to the mic for this one. Dogs are better than cats. <laughs> um. I'm going to say this, and I, I'm going to come up with the Buddhist response saying that uh, dogs are wonderful animals, and so are cats, and they are both very unique and have different needs. I like the fact that I can leave my cat for a week, and I just leave her, and she does her own thing, and I don't have, I just put, give her a food dish and make sure that she has plenty of food that week, and she's off doing her own thing all week long. She goes to the bathroom in the kitty litter box. I don't have to worry about it. Now with a dog, now but the things about kitties, and this is kind of he points this out, um, kitties also, uh, they just have their own thing. That, that, that's really their own thing. You know, like, they're like, maybe they'll be petted for five minutes and then they move on. And that's truly true. My cat wakes up and she comes into my room. She snuggles up to me for about two or three minutes that's the end of the petting. <laughs> that's the end. Bye. I'm I'm done being petted now. Now, where you have a dog, he's loyal. He'll go for walks with you. A cat won't do that. Um, I've seen people with cat leashes, but dogs will go walks with you. They'll go run with you. You can throw a yeah. ball and have fun with them. Um, I I am more partial to dogs myself. We have a cat because the cat was a. Uh, a kind of Caden was really doing good in school. My uh, now thirteen-year-old, and uh, he did really good in school one year. And so the teacher was a cat lady, and persuaded Caden uh, to really want a cat. That then turned into now you all want a cat too. <laughs> so. Uh, that is how we got a cat. Her name is Callie because we like to go to California. That's the oh. extent of our naming process for cats and like animals. That. Somebody goes, "Hey, we like a, we like to go to California." Yeah, sh she's a calico, <laughs> so we're like Callie. That's perfect. It's a it's a great name. It's I a good mean, name. You know, it's it's a... better than Lucky. That's like every. First pet animal's name is Lucky because they're lucky to be in your home. 
Right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was they're lucky. First. I'm yeah. lucky. <laughs> yeah, it was just lucky, and yeah, there's so many pets named Lucky. Um, anyways, uh, I'm sure half the listeners left because I said I like dogs more than cats because it's probably about half and half in this world. <laughs> like dogs probably so cats. probably so i do run that most of my friends are more dog lovers but i do have a you know we do have a couple friends that have like five or six cats and uh you know they love them and uh, yeah. i think they love them for the fact that they are aloof and kind of do their own thing and come to you when they want to you don't have to do much with them you know there's not like a constant attention uh caden wants a pug and from what I understand, pugs are very needy dogs and um, want your attention all the time. And I think yeah. that kids in their heads go, I really want a dog or, you know, they really want an animal. And then when it comes to really taking care of the animal, not every kid's all the same, but all of my kids were the same. All of my kids wanted animals. And then as soon as they got the animals, I would take care of the animal for them. Or get okay. or or have to tell them all the time, hey, come and you know, hey, go take care of this cat. You know, it's your cat, not my cat. So that was my uh, that's been my just like with musical instruments. I think I was maybe a little bit like that, uh, not guitar, but for clarinet, I was very much like that. So, but here's the thing about this chapter, um, and I think that uh, to we talk about the pets piece as mm -hmm. being like it's it's all out you know it's all about being nice to any he, he's kind of telling you before it was lobsters and pecking orders um now he it's does use a lot of animal um examples and analogies doesn't he he does and i think that in this chapter he uses it well again in the fact that after you get past the fact that he really does like dogs better um he then gets really into the fact that you don't know what somebody's gone through. And so being nice, being genuinely compassionate about others is a virtue, is power. And, and then actually it kind of, this kind of bleeds into the Thich Nhat Hanh book that we're about ready to uh, discuss as well. Because that's the, that's the power is when you can have compassion for all living beings and pets, uh, animals of any type, you know, animals of any type, you know, grasshoppers. If you can have compassion and understand and be in their shoes, then there is great power in that in caring. And that helps take a lot of the weight off of you being self-centered. And, and that's the biggest thing here is I think he's telling you, don't be so self-centered, understand other people and other things better and really be kind. And he goes into kind of a story about his daughter who's uh, had really bad arthritis and has had multiple surgeries, hip replacement. And when you hear the story, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that that would happen to a little girl. Yeah, that's, that's in... That's, I mean, how uh, rare is that, you know? Right. And that's the whole point here is, is that how rare is that? And, and 
Um, I was thinking about you actually, Brian, and I don't like to bring too much of your own personal in here, but I did think about, you know, your little one and yeah. the struggles that you've gone through as parents. I, I, for the most part, had very healthy kids. They were born um, right on time. We were very worried about Caden when he was, because um, we were high-risk pregnancy because we were older parents. And then additionally, we had the, um, he just didn't move. He oh. just didn't move a ton. So, and they thought, you know, they had to done all the Down syndrome checks and they thought for a second that he had Down syndrome which, you know, now we have a Down syndrome grandchild, so it really is not a big thing. But, um, but you know, at the time we were like really worried and, you know, and we, so we were going through like up until the day before, up until delivery, we were there at the, the amount of ultrasounds that we had from eight weeks before he was born was like every week. Hmm. Just double checking. Uh -huh. And Absolutely. that was our, that was our, that was a lot. And for us, it seemed like so much. And then you hear, uh, you, I, my friend Kelly that I used to, she was my boss at, uh, my last company. They had preemies that barely survived birth and barely survived infancy to where you're like, oh my goodness, I have nothing to work. I, I just don't have the fathom or the understanding of how much that battle was. Yeah. And at the same time, right? Like you, uh, I, and I think people do this a lot, you know, there's that comparing and it's like, well, my, my situation wasn't that bad, but it's like how unfair to minimize your personal experience, right? Like, sure, maybe someone else's is like, whoa. Right, but for you, yours is is more than you thought you could handle. You know, like anything. And I'm when I say you, I mean you, Andy. I mean you, right. the listeners. Like it is so unfair to compare. You know, and 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 this chapter, like you said, Andy. Um, you know, when it's talking about like being nice to people, like pet the cat on the street, like be kind to someone, because my goodness, you don't know, like for reals. What if the person you're talking to was, um, I don't know, what if they were born way too early? And what if mom died, you know, like, and, and they didn't have the mom growing up? Or what if, like, when, you know, they're growing all these awful things? Like, we just don't know. And everyone, every single person has challenges. And we can't say, well, because I went through this, they should be able. No, no. If you went through something bad and someone else is going through something, do not minimize the other person's experience just because you think that because you went through something worse, they should be able to handle it. That is unfair and uncalled for, and it's not petting the cat. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's, uh, and that's exactly the thing that we all have our own battles that no one understands. And you don't fully understand every nuance. Um, and I think about this quite a bit, that to a person that's never had traumatic, that kind of traumatic thing happen, to them, it's a big thing. To me, going to an ultrasound every week and worrying about my son being born, you know, uh, 
with problems of any type, you know, or we were older parents. So there was all sorts of things, genetic issues. There's all sorts of things that could have happened. So we were worried. And though somebody, you know, who lost their child, maybe even I had a son that about two years ago lost their son. They lost their kid. Um, and it was uh, stillborn, like oh died like six hours before born. Isn't uh, that and, when and, you and I first really came into contact with each other, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, and, right, exactly around then. And then and then he now has a very vibrant little girl. Um, but at the time, I mean, he was devastated. And I, as a parent, would have been devastated as well. I mean, I was, I was his, you know, this is my grandchild. And we saw the baby in the hospital. You know, it was, and it was devastating for the mom. Uh, it was definitely a, a faith question. You know, they question their own faith and their own spirituality because they were very heavily Christian. Um, you know, why would God do this to me? Um, and, and being a parent to somebody who's going through that, because I was, you know, it's not, he was a parent who had this happen to him, but I was the parent of the parent. <laughs> so it was, it was extremely difficult and you can't minimize that. And that's exactly the point. And your point was straight right on. You don't know what anybody's and don't minimize somebody's grief and say, they'll just get over it. Yeah. How cruel. That is cruel. You know, um... We do it all the time because of the fact that we think that people should just buck up and, and, you know, pull yourself up from your own bootstraps and, you know, but I don't think that that is that that's old way of thinking. It is. It's extremely unhealthy way of thinking. Look, how about you pull them up by throwing them a lifeline? <laughs> like, come on. People need support when they're going through a challenging time. They don't need to be told that they're, that they're whining. I mean, sometimes people are um, perhaps too woe is me, too pity me, right? Um, I don't care if, if that's the case. You don't need to be mean about it well i've run into people that they are professional victims um mm -hmm. but you still can't minimize their experience because whatever's led them to be professional victims their narrative their story that they've written for themselves about being a victim has some root in the past that made them act like that and so having that compassion for understanding that maybe they had a really tough childhood and never felt like they got the attention or they've had a really tough life and everything is always a hurdle for them. I would honestly say that um, there has been a lack of validation for their challenges. And so then they're like, no, hey, I need some validation. Give me some validation. And they crave it and they need it. And they right, fall right. into the victim stance because really they're just like, no one has actually said like, yeah, what you're going through is really rough. Right. And I, 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 that's, I appreciate that perspective because that is such, that's not what I grew up with. 
you know, I, I didn't grow my, my parents, not so much my biological dad, but my stepdad, very military, very black and white, small town, USA, um, raised me to be a man and men don't talk about their feelings and men don't deal with their, you know, they just pick themselves up when they dust themselves off from any fall. And, you know, and the fact is, is that when we don't take time to acknowledge the things that have happened to us and register our feelings and understand where they're coming from, we're doing a disservice for everybody else around us as well as ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a very, very, um, universal thing you know if, if we think about it like it's the narrative starting to change um but yeah you see it a lot with 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 men you know we we can't be uh emotional beings that's to suppress and that suppression turns into anger i mean what and who wants to deal with an angry person not i i hate it <laughs> well, anger, and, and you know, from a Buddhist perspective, anger is such a deep-seated place of non-love. It's the opposite of love. And it it is a monster that, if you feed it, will destroy your life, and it is a delusion. It's delusional thinking that, especially, it's like, to me, anger is like an adult temper tantrum. I didn't get what I wanted. So now I have to be angry about it. And, and instead of realizing that anger is a feeling of, oh, I, I am upset that I didn't get what I wanted. And I think that if you learn to it, it express that feeling early enough before it gets onto the anger uh, roller coaster, you then can tackle those feelings that are much because and i think you would probably say that i know i've been to several therapists that said anger is a secondary emotion it's always there's something underneath it always right yeah for the most part you know anger is a defense mechanism always it, it you know if, if you're feeling angry um you're more likely to stick up for yourself if a lion's attacking <laughs> right <laughs> so, you know uh if someone's Truth. trying to steal something from you uh or uh threaten you in some way right like anger is not necessarily a bad thing there um and we've talked about that before yeah we we've mentioned that before in some other podcasts so i'd, I'd recommend going back and listening to those but um you know anger it can be a tool or a weapon of mass destruction. And um, it's really how you, how you use it, how you, what you do with it, right? Yes. From a Buddhist perspective, anger is never an acceptable response to anything. It's reactionary and delusional. Um, and that is a, that's a, you know, a Buddhist philosophy point that we can beg to differ on that which is which is yeah. fine well you know um, different philosophies different yeah different very, very much so i i totally understand your point and i have felt that righteous anger which is what you're talking about 
does serve sometimes a purpose. Um, but from a Buddhist perspective, as a Buddhist teacher, um, anger is never a is never leads to happiness and never leads to um, where you want to be to truly being joyful and happy and loving um, yeah. or enlightened because it is a delusional thinking that you didn't get what you want, always spurred by something that, you know, a jealousy or some, something that happened to you that you didn't want. And well, I, would, I would say that I agree with you. Anger, for the most part, you know, is not going to lead very helpful directions. It is a secondary emotion. And so I would say, um, if you're feeling anger, don't suppress it. Don't get mad at yourself for feeling it. Like, don't beat sure. yourself up for it, right? You're not sure. a bad person because you got it. Everyone feels anger. Um, maybe you do take that more mindful approach. Be like, what is it behind the anger? Am I scared? Am I sad? Do I feel um, like someone is taking advantage of me, right? Like, do I, do I feel, I don't know, uh, what would be the... Anyways, whatever. It could be a whole. It could be a whole lot of. It could be a whole tons, lot of tons, things. Tons of emotions. Look up a Google list of emotions, and I'm, you know, I mean, there's a lot of. A lot well, of there's emotions. a lot of a lot of things like that, and it's always like those things lead to anger, and and it's a. I think anger just is a lack of being able to express it in a proper way and respond to a situation in a healthy way. So it comes out as um, irrational, delusional thinking um, yeah. most of the time. Um, mm -hmm. But I will tell you this, and this is the part that what I, I want to bring it back to what this chapter was about and then wrap up with this whole book with a pretty bow. Um the one thing that I would say that because we're talking about this and we have this discussion about even the differences between what anger and what it is, it isn't, um, or if it was really good or not, people you don't know, and this is for the listeners, you don't know what somebody else has gone through. So pet the cat, be compassionate to all beings because you have no idea what that person's, and even though pr we know that perspective is the filter, their perspective is something that they live with. This is where they have gotten it. And most people are doing the best they can with the tools they have. I would say everyone is doing the best they can. I don't think there's many people who are purposefully trying to do things to make their lives worse. You know, I, I like think you're might, right. They might do things that make their life worth worse, but if they thought it would, they wouldn't do it. You're right. Even well, those who, who choose to attempt suicide or even um, commit suicide, right? Um, they're doing that because they really think it's the best decision. Well, it's pain. Um, yeah. And and I don't think it, and it's. It's interesting because suicide is such a deep subject for me because of one of my daughters, but it is, um, you know, suicide was definitely something that I used to think of a as, as a different thing. And now that I'm more familiar with the mindsets that go with suicidal tendencies and suicide, it's the attempts and completion sometimes, unfortunately. 
Um, it is just such a, to me, having deep compassion helps maybe prevent that. Um, I have a good friend who says, you know, call three friends today that you don't, that you haven't talked to in a while. Uh, my friend Chris says this on his podcast all the time. Call three friends that you haven't talked to because there's a chance that they probably haven't talked to you either or haven't heard from you and would like to maybe. Or maybe you just don't know what they're going through and maybe just calling them up and saying, hey, how are you doing? Is the highlight of their day and it's going to get them to be motivated to get out of bed that day. Mm -hmm. or to prevent suicide. What's interesting is, is that they talked to a number of uh, survivors from the Golden Gate Bridge. And, <laughs> excuse me, um, a lot of times they were looking for somebody in the crowd to help give them even just a look to generate some compassion for them while they were on that bus ride or on that car ride to go through with it. Right. And then each one of them said, I knew it was a mistake when my hands left the rail. Each one of them said that. So they were looking, they, they realized too late. And in some of these cases, the survivors were fine. Well, the survivors are always fine. They're, they're living, which is, but yeah, they, you know, they, they may have broken some bones, but 90, you know, it's, it's a very small percent of people that survive jumping off Golden Gate Bridge, off the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm -hmm. And they, um, it's interesting because they do realize, and that's what a lot of them said, I realized that I had much more to live for. And then when they go back, they become a different person in the realization that they have been given a chance again. And I think sometimes that's what pet the cat means. Being compassionate to other people when they're down and seeing the treasure in them always. It may be buried. We may, you know, there's moments where we all are frustrated with the people that we're around, especially our loved ones at times. Yeah. Um, wives, husbands, you know, special people, special yeah. kids. Yeah, mothers, mother-in-laws. <laughs> yes, especially mother-in-laws. Adopted siblings, <laughs> step-siblings. Right, right. But what, here's the interesting thing, and I, and I, I don't do this, and I think the good thing is this is why I call it a practice, not a doing, um, is the fact that you can use this compassion to try to generate a better life for yourself. And it's, and it's, no, it's okay to not, you're not going to do it right away well. Most of us have been brought up to be judgmental and uh, it's, it's okay. Now, what I want to wrap up this book with Brian really quick is yeah. what he calls the coda. And I think coda is actually something that is a therapeutic term for kind of like the wrap up. <laughs> like, how do I use this? No, I don't use, I don't use the word coda. Okay. Maybe I'm just, you know, falling asleep during a class or something. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. He just calls it coda. And what I, what he's saying in this lat is what do you, now that you've read this and we just read this book for two and a half months. Um, now what? And this is the one thing that always got me is that you can read these wonderful books 
but now what? And I have a, and this is my question for you, Brian. Now what? Now that we've read this, now what do we do with this information? How do we, how do we push it into our lives and be able to sustain what we've learned and make it more of a habit of mind and habit to be able yeah. to think more into these places. And I, that's where I think therapy really comes in handy is because they have ways of being able to get people to do that. Well, I think, um, honestly, the, the only way that you can do anything about it is, is, is acting, practicing, you know, um, all of this stuff that we're talking about, these rules for life, you could think of them as skills. I come back to this over and over and over and over again with the people I work with and, and for myself and, and everything. Like I can talk to you till I'm blue in the face about these things, but until you actually act, even just one small step, nothing is going to change. You know, so you read this book. Great. That is a great foot first step. Maybe you set a timer tomorrow morning to uh, to remind yourself about one of these rules and you practice it. Maybe tomorrow you call those three friends. You set a reminder. And then when that alarm goes off to call those friends, you at the same time, you reset another alarm or timer or something like that for another thing. Um, out of sight, out of mind is an idiomatic expression that is so true. If you want to create change in your life, you have to purposefully and deliberately, and I will say that again, you have to purposefully and deliberately put things in place that will remind you about it. Or you will not do it. I love that. And the purposely and deliberately is such a very power, powerful words right there. And that's a, for those who know, uh, this is the drop the mic moment right there. That was extremely purposely and deliberately. Um, that is how you change things is purposely and deliberately. So do exact, this is my suggestion is go through this book, find maybe a few things that you can practice. Just like mm -hmm. he's saying, yeah, each start day, small. start small, very small. Yes. Find a few things that you can, that you really felt powerful and connected to and practice that today. One of the things that, um, I really love about this is, um, and, and in, in the end of his book, that's exactly what he says is he just is able to pull little things out of it to help little nuggets to be able to digest it in and put it into your personal life. So just keep, keep practicing and you're not going to be perfect. Um, one of the things that I used to do when I went into a room, um, like a meeting, I would practice my compassion while people were coming in and I would smile at them. And then I would, for, for me, I'm a Buddhist. So in my head, I would say a little mantra for them. Um, and it was usually, it was around the Buddhist for, Buddha for compassion or maybe wisdom, wisdom Buddha. Um, and saying their mantra to myself, saying that this person's in this room to give me wisdom, yeah. to help enlighten my mind in a different way than when it was when I was coming in, and keeping that smile and keeping that mindset helped me move the move my perspective into a wanting to learn aspect. 
Now, am I perfect at it? No, you know, you can ask my wife. <laughs> um, but I am much, e I find it much easier to draw, to draw compassion and um, see the good in all and see that they have something to teach me. That's really what petting the cat really in the end of the book is really, it, everybody has something to teach you. And he, that's actually a rule, right? Act like somebody has something you could learn something from. Yeah, specifically, let's let's actually just really quick, right at the end of the book, because this is um, rules. I'm gonna just read them. Um, so rule one: stand up straight with your shoulders back. Rule two: treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Rule three: make friends with people who want the best for you. Rule four: compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Rule five, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Rule six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Rule seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Rule eight, tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Rule nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. Rule 10, be precise in your speech. Rule 11, do not bother children when they are skateboarding. And rule 12, pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. You know, overall, Andy, I give this book a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10 because um, I really uh, did find some things in there that I disagreed with. There were some sections in there where he, it kind of sounded like a pick yourself up by the bootstrap, which I which I really disagree with. There was also some things in there that um, I recall the, the the sections about the revolution and how he basically was saying like, hey, these things exist in culture for a reason and keep the status quo. And I'm like, sometimes and I disagree with that. I think sometimes the status quo is unhealthy and, un, and um, not conducive or liberating for certain groups. And so keeping things status quo was beneficial for only one group of people and suppressive and um, unhealthy for others. So I disagreed with him on, on those points and some other ones. Um, you know, there was some stuff that we talked about regarding uh, toxic masculinity. And I really liked most of the rules though he slipped some of those things in there that and i thought had nothing to do with the book it was just like his own opinions and these are obviously mine uh it is his book he gets to put in there what he wants to i just disagreed with it um on those points so a seven out of ten not a six because i thought his stuff he had was really important oh also seven because he just droned on and on I was gonna I was gonna say that's the one thing that I note that there was for somebody who's giving therapeutic advice, I think you can get really quickly turned off by the religious banter, which mm. some people can get turned off by me being Andy the Buddhist who's you know coming from my perspective so I could get that. Um, however, I think he was and we've talked about this. this is always an interesting perspective. Why do you, if you are to write a book, you have to be the, you want to seem like you are the specialist. This is why you're reading this. 
I know something that you don't know. And I think he came across like that in very strong ways that I don't. And I think that he used philosophy to get his point across. And so for people that are really into that philosophical debating and, you know, blow up a, you know, build the house from and blow up the house and then rebuild the house, <laughs> you know, going through the front door, going through the side door, going through the windows. And then if you still don't get your point across, blow up the house and rebuild it. I think that that's what he did with every chapter. However, the rules were good. I, I like the rules and I like some of the analogies and I do like, and I, I liked his perspective. I think that it is nice to hear people saying it frankly from their perspective where it's not loaded down with a lot of the rhetoric and being nice you know yeah. there, there's you really needed to put in there like a tldr you know too long didn't read <laughs> <laughs> that's true it is a very long book like i think the 12 you know like these are great these are great and then uh okay pet a cat that's great okay here's a little story about a cat and you need to pet him because here's, but he, he, he tried to blow in and these analogies were awesome. And for some people, maybe they resonated. Now I have a friend that was blown away by this book. Um, and I have actually, I read this book a long time ago and our book club was like, wow, this was an intense book. They loved it. Intense, loved it, loved it though. And, you know, each one of them had their reasons for liking it. I think you're the same way. Seven out of 10, I did think that he went into the, you could easily want to put this book down because of the length of it. Mm -hmm. And when he starts droning on about things that you're like, I could care less about that. I just want to know how I could implement this in my life. Yeah. But maybe he felt that he had to do that so he could get his point across so that you resonated with it more closely. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those books that I do think people ought to read. And it might be one of those things, like all these books that we're reading, you know, some of them self-help, some of them just spiritual, like whatever. Um, it might be like some of these books are algebra level, like if you're comparing it to math, and then other books are like calculus. And it's like, maybe there's not something clicking because you need to go back and do some algebra if something's calculus level you know or maybe it's like i'm in calculus and i'm reading a book that's algebra level and it's like uh, i'm not sure like this is not clicking with me you know so i think we have to remember that too as as we're reading these books um you might be on a level equal with it higher than it or below it um, for what you need and your journey in your life, right? Things will click for a reason with you, maybe because just your experiences are different, right? And so just because I rated this a seven, maybe you like it and it's a 10 out of 10 for you. And for that, great. I applaud you. There's nothing wrong with, with that opinion. If it changed your life, that's all I care about. It changed your life. Great. For me, it's a seven. I think for me, it's like an eight. I do believe that I really like a lot of his writing. I do like the audible version because he he's the author and he reads it as well. 
So I think I liked it because I, um, because of his, he has a really nice voice and anybody who actually, if you go on even to TikTok now, there's, um, TikTok videos with this, with, with him, like hmm. that monster part where he's talking about monsters and yeah. you need to be a monster, but you need to just control your being a monster. Um, there's, he has, he's like very famously quoted now and he's in a lot of mainstream media, which is why this book is kind of a little bit more famous now. Yeah. Um, well, so it's yeah, book. it's a, I think it is a must read for sure. Cause it has great stuff in it. Just, you no, know, he talks a long time and has some things that I personally disagree with. Yeah, and that's and that's a good thing about a book is that we're allowed to do that. Yeah. All right, so we're going to sign off for this book. Yay! I mean, it was yeah. a long book. It was two two was. and a half months of this book. It was it was long. it was a battle. It was a mud. It was a it was a slog, but uh, we did get through it, and it yeah. was a good slog. It was you know it was definitely some work. It was worthwhile work. I again just just because I you know didn't give it a ten out of ten doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it or learn from it. Right, so, exactly. Uh, I still uh, think that I've gotten out of the books that we have read. I still think the minimalist book is probably my essentialism. most favorite. essentialism. Yeah, essentialism yeah. is by far one of my most favorite books of all time, and it changed my life. Yeah, that's what I think it did for me too. It's it's really helped me kind of move forward. This yeah. book also is just good, really good knowledge for people that are struggling. I think this is a great book for them. Yeah. I think yeah. this is a great book for people who are looking for answers. And um, it gives you a lot of wide variety of answers. Um, Has some and, great starting points. Yeah, I think so too. So yeah, definitely a good book. Um, and so we will see you all later. Any last thoughts? Um. No, uh, we do look forward to finally diving into Thich Nhat Hanh's The Art of Power. Uh, we've talked about that several times. We apologize that it's taken us so long to get to it. But um, we are going to start that book now, right? It's, it's now November. Um, start reading it. Uh, and um, we'll see you next time. Catch us on Instagram, Guru's Podcast. Uh, send us an email, gurus.podcast1 at gmail.com. Or is it, uh, and there's no period in there. It's just gurus.podcast1. And then our Instagram is gurus.podcast. So um, look us up and uh, reach out to us. Thank you for listening. Yep. And we'll catch you on, catch you next time.